Welcome to the Fed Tech Innovators Podcast, where we talk about all things deep tech innovation, entrepreneurship, and R&D. Now let's get started. Really excited, Brian, to, to have you on board here for a discussion. Um, let's just start by, by uh, introducing your company, if you don't mind. Thanks, Ben. Good morning. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And uh, yeah, so I, um, I'm a founder of Owl, formerly Project Owl, recently moved to Owl Integrations, Inc., um, but just Owl is fine. And we make connectivity to improve the world's resilience and originally focused on areas devastated by natural disasters. We've evolved to find applications in the oil and gas industries, utilities, logistics, fleet management, and uh, maybe most relevant here to government and military applications as well. When I was, I was, I was hoping just maybe if you could kind of walk the listeners through uh, what is, so what happens after, you know, especially in the disaster use case, what happens to communications? Why is this like a, a, a hard problem to solve? Mm -hmm. So if you live in the United States, there's a good chance you've either been through or someone you know has been through a natural disaster. And it's not just hurricanes are the original ones we focused on, but wildfires are prevalent, earthquakes, tornadoes. Um, I was in Texas for the freeze, which was its own disaster. And then, of course, we were just through or still ongoing through a pandemic, which wasn't really on the table for natural disasters before. Um, when we started Project Owl, it was in 2018, right after four major Atlantic hurricanes in a 12-month period had hit. And this was an abnormally high concentration. And those hurricanes were Irma and Maria in the... Caribbean and in Puerto Rico, Harvey in Texas, and Florence in the Carolinas. And typically, you don't have four major hurricanes like that in, in a nearly 12-month time period. But those four inflicted hundreds of billions of dollars of damage and caused tens of thousands of casualties. So our perspective coming from that event, and we traveled to Puerto Rico many times after Hurricane Maria, was... Sure, the direct impacts of the wind and the rain and the intensity of, of the and the violence of the event causes plenty of devastation. But the worst part is the long tail afterwards. Once you have this natural lawnmower, for lack of a better metaphor, come through, it leaves a, 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 your location without, you know, all of the modern technology and infrastructure we're used to in society. Electricity and communications is the first to go. But you even lose basic infrastructure roads and whatnot because you have all sorts of debris on them. So you can't call anyone to let them know you're okay. You can't contact medical care to receive, uh, you know, an ambulance or medicine, even daily medicine such as insulin you might need. You can't go to the grocery store. So it creates this cascading effect of problems that we can't rely on the normal uh, everyday functions of society that that keep it running. And that's the real problem, especially in Puerto Rico, where communications and networks were down for months or over years at a time in certain locations. And so our perspective was to develop a really quick and easy way to bring back communications and sensor networks rapidly, uh, cost effectively, and with technology that everyone can easily figure out how to use. Um, you know, a lot of engineering work has gone into making our DuckLink devices. Uh, uh, I sometimes like to think that it's a lot of space age technology that makes them look like they're just simple rubber ducks. 
Yeah, and actually, if you don't mind, yeah, let's let's um, show them. Uh, yeah, so I have a, a yellow one here. They got, um, especially in the military, we like to say one button on and off. They're soldier proof. Um, <laughs> 3D printed enclosures. These are the basic handheld ones. We have special ducts that we've developed uh, in coordination with some of our military partners and with the support of FedTech. This is a hybrid backhaul. So sometimes if you have networks deployed on the ground, Puerto Rico is a great example, you'll want to be able to get that data up to the cloud. So someone in Washington DC, for example, can be monitoring a situation in real time. This box that you can put in your backpack has Wi-Fi, cellular, and SATCOM all in one box. And it cannot selectively choose which backhaul it wants to use based on what's available to it and what's more cost effective. And then of course we have special military versions made uh, just for some of our customers as well. Well, and, and kind of walk me through what, so Hurricane, you know, hits um, after that initial period of, of having it be inaccessible due to the weather, like what, what would a customer in theory be able to do um, and, and kind of walk me through the steps of, of implementing your system mm -hmm. uh, and getting kind of comms back up and running? In certain places, Puerto Rico is one of them, and we have an upcoming deployment in Hutto, Texas, just outside of Austin. Um, we have a set number of pre-deployed solar-powered ducklings. So these are a little bit larger. They have a larger battery in it uh, and a solar panel. But, you know, the, like actual the animal kingdom of ducks they come in many shapes sizes colors uh different species if you will but if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck it can talk to any other duck so each of these here you know depending on the color depending on the size and shape uh whether they're solar powered and they're already outside or they've been outside for a year they can all talk to one another so in a place like puerto rico we have uh, just about three dozen solar powered ducklings deployed already, and we're looking to deploy more there. So if a disaster hits, um, we already have infrastructure on the ground. Now, of course, some of them may get destroyed and we've baked in resilience into our, our distributed ad hoc networks to take, it, uh, to take that into account. Assuming we lose some devices, the networks still operate. Once the disaster has rolled through, you can re, uh, build out the network, include more handheld devices, or even just in the following days after deploy more solar powered devices. So we have equipment ready to go when it's needed for, you know, specifically again, speaking to Puerto Rico, our partners on the ground, such as the Information Technology Disaster Resource Center, Puerto Rico Emergency, Puerto Rico Emergency Management Agency, PRIMA. Um, and some other individuals, universities we've developed relationships with. So there's several different ways we can attack responding to a disaster. And we like to think of that as uh, baking in some resilience into a, um, a response effort that, that a lot of time needs it. Yeah, sure. Interesting. Yeah. And, and you know, at FedTech, we, we give a lot of thought to uh, climate change, you know, where we're going kind of as a planet and especially the role of, of technology in, in either, you know, stopping, slowing down, you know, um, altering climate uh, change in general. But what, what's interesting to me about your product is, right, you, you guys are going to be more relevant as climate change, you know, creates more kind of weather events. Um, like, what, what, what are you thinking about in terms of kind of across the globe? Like, wh where, where do you want uh, ducks to be deployed, you know, in the next five years. Um, and it sounds like it's a bit of a, a preemptive posture that countries would take, right, of saying that, like, we're not going to wait until the disaster actually hits, but we're going to have some ground infrastructure in place. Like, 
what, what, what kind of places are on your mind in terms of where you think mm -hmm. the company could uh, uh, eventually sell to? Yeah, I mean, and, and there's kind of two parts to your comment there. I mean, the climate change one is, is interesting, right? Because it's, first of all, it's a phrase that if you even mention the word, you kind of like have to duck depending on who you're talking to. And um, climate change means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Our perspective on it is statistically speaking, the thing that that's most important for us to develop our, our opinions on our product roadmap and deployment roadmap, roadmap is, uh, you know, over the last hundred years, natural disasters in, in many forms have been slowly but surely increasing in frequency and magnitude. And it's important for us to take that into account. There may be a variety of explanations for that. Certainly one of them is our greenhouse gas emissions. And in fact, we developed some of our commercially deployed duck links uh, are methane, fugitive methane sensors for the oil and gas industry. So we work very closely with partners such as BP um, to further develop this technology to provide a radically cost-effective way to easily and quickly detect uh, emitting methane sources that shouldn't be there. Um, as far as on the disaster resilience front, we've done recent deployments across the world. Uh, our, our latest international deployment was in Shimla, India, in Himachal Pradesh. It's this beautiful mountain town in the Himalayas, about eight hours drive north of Delhi. Um, and they had just suffered a variety of monsoons and landslides. And there was some terrible flooding in India in recent years, the Kerala floods. Um, if you Google that afterwards, it was a pretty devastating event. Um, but, you know, to specifically answer where, it, it's hard. It, it's really hard to predict where's going to be the next terrible natural disaster. And even there are locations we can kind of say, well, Puerto Rico is kind of in the strike zone. So maybe we'll focus there. And then, you know, maybe what ends up happening this year is Florida gets the most devastating hit. And on the west side, too, which is kind of weird, right? Normally hurricanes come up the East Coast um, or sometimes go into the Gulf and then head into Texas. But it's very rare that one sort of does that clockwise thing that I think it was Hurricane Ian that had hit Tampa this past year. I might have the name wrong, but nonetheless, um, throughout the United States, we are interested in deployments from Portland, Oregon. We are looking at disaster resilience to wildfire resilience in California to the next snowstorm resilience in Austin, Texas, and of course, hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin. So we're taking, a, I would say, a global approach with a heavy focus on American resilience at this time, because, you know, our country alone hasn't solved this problem. So we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Uh, when shifting gears a little, Brian, like I, I think you guys have a very interesting founding story. You know, we always love to hear just that founder's experience, that founder's journey. Um, tell us how, how the company got started. Tell us about sort of the, the, the team that you started uh, with and, and the dynamics kind of among the, the founding team, I think are really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, um, <clears throat> at the time OWL was founded, I was mostly sleeping on couches in Brooklyn, New York, uh, as were a few of the other founders. Um, in, in, through my 20s, I was doing a lot of hackathons. I didn't really make it in the corporate world. I was a corporate failure. And uh, so- why, why was that? It's always the best entrepreneurs usually are. What, 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 um, 
There's a lot of reasons, some that I'm not sure if I'd be comfortable sharing, but it was just an environment that I just, I don't know. It was like a square peg round hole. I didn't fit. I didn't feel committed to it. I, it was something I couldn't get myself to drive to want to do. That, that was the biggest thing I kept coming back to is I could not for the life of me convince myself that I actually enjoyed it and wanted to do the things that I was doing. And so at, at one point I kind of just, you know, said screw it and started doing what I loved, which was going to hackathons. And you know what those are. Um, tech, it's like, I'm a big sports, actually, I, I was born and raised just north of Philadelphia. So right now I'm in, in awe of my sports teams right now. Oh yeah. Philadelphia yeah. Eagles oh, yeah. going to the NFC championship. So I played soccer through college at the university of Rochester as well. So one of my favorite things in the world is competition, right? To get out on the field and just compete. And another, maybe the other half of my most interested hobbies or endeavor is to build stuff. And so hackathons were that perfect marriage of competing, but doing it to build stuff. And so I started just, you know, going around competing in all sorts of software competitions sponsored by Mercedes Benz or Facebook or Microsoft or Visa. And I'd met some friends, I'll say that I began working with, you know, doing teaming up for these things. And in 2018, there was a Roger rather large hackathon, the IBM call for code. And this came right on the heels of those four hurricanes where they specifically said, Hey, developers, can we come up with a way to help mitigate these problems? Or at least not, you know, not necessarily stop the hurricanes, but help the communities prepare for them, deal with them and recover afterwards. And so at the time for us, it had all the elements of a technical mission. We got to build something cool. Uh, well worth our time if you win. And that's important to hackathons. Um, you know, just have something worthwhile for the developers who make the stuff to be rewarded if they come what up with it. What was the kind of prize structure? Uh, we won $200,000, which enabled wow. okay, that's, the that's rest big... of us to really stop doing everything else and just focus on this. Wow, that's quite a, okay, that's like a meaningful uh, 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 winning pot for a hackathon. That's great. Yeah, I mean, and listen, it's, it's not lost on me. We'll get into the government game, but um, when I when we won and they, I'm not even kidding, on stage handed each of us a fifty thousand dollar check. I was just looking at it like I could pay so many months of rent with this. <laughs> it was my first thought, and I was like, "Oh, this is going to be so nice." Um, yeah, sure. So yeah. That's kind of where we were at that point in time, you know, just trying to come up with something, build something meaningful, take care of living. And, uh, that, that so you guys, was, you guys won the hackathon and was that the impetus to actually form the, the company yeah. out of that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget one, one of the founders called me up like a week later, we had just kind of come down. We were, I think we were in San Francisco for the ceremony and we had gotten back. Everyone kind of comes down from the high and, uh, I, he calls me up and he's like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I quit my job. I'm moving out of my house. I'm working on this full time. I, I hope you're cool with that. I was like, all right, great. <laughs> That's for all this. And, and what's been sort of the journey from that point? You know, okay, you guys, yeah, they're, they're, you win the money and then it, it's, it, you have to go into a, a build cycle, I imagine. You know, what, yeah. what did that look like? And what's kind of been the evolution? 
And I, yeah. and I, from what I, you know, I've seen in um, the history of your of your company, you've, you've been very successful at winning other prizes. I know things like the the XX Search program. I mean, may, maybe describe how you sort of use those prizes and those opportunities for non dilutive capital as kind of uh, jumping off points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so we win that IBM call for code and, you know, everybody's on cloud nine. Little did we know the apocalyptic series of events that was about to transcend on earth. And so more, more or less the entire life of this company has been during COVID, which has among all the other challenges of building a business has been its own unique set of circumstance. And, you know, in some ways, I've kind of looked at it this whole time, like, well, if everything's terrible on the outside, like, no worries then, right? Might as well go for broke here, right? Uh, What's the worst that could happen? And so we took our DNA, which was competing in those hackathons and competitions and building weird stuff that makes people say, wow. And we kind of tried to just find ways to plug that into other sources of non-dilutive capital. Um, The world has changed immensely since 2018. And I can tell you shopping this around Silicon Valley for venture capital investors, like there is a sincere apprehension to invest in hardware or electronics. Everybody's scared of it. It's like, uh, like a cancer there. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've been introduced to investors who, before I even say my, like, hi, I'm Brian, they say, I don't invest in hardware pass. And it's like, okay, thank you. Um, Outside of being uh, disappointing, you know, from a business standpoint, it's just disappointing from a social standpoint also. Uh, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you're just, first of all, we are the smallest possible peanut in the government game. And there's, there's the actually making it commercially and through your business as an entrepreneur. But then there's also, you know, the, the emotional part of like, I'm ever, we're all, we're all humans. We want to be validated that what we're doing has an impact or makes people happy or has application or that someone sees the value of your work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to be told, like, I don't even want to be introduced to you because I'm so against what you're doing. It's kind of like, well, damn. Um, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Welcome to entrepreneurship though. I mean, it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so listen, we kind of, you know, just read the, I, I think one of the things we've done best to survive to this point is to take our awareness of what we want to be, our aspirations, what we think the technology can be and our beliefs around the world, but also be hyper aware and honest about the reality of us and what we're good at and what we build and what people love. And I have some good examples of that, that kind of tie into your point about finding non-dilutive capital. Um, and, you know, we used to call ourselves a software company that just happens to make hardware. That's what we used to say internally. And demonstration after demonstration after demonstration, all anyone ever wanted to ask about, play with, talk about, and see the future was the ducklings. What's going on with these? And so at some point we just threw up our hands and we were like, we make hardware. We're really good at it. We never planned on this. It just, it's everyone we talk to and our customers, this is all they want to know about. So let's just accept it. And the second part of that is once we got 
through those demonstrations, uh, people continue to tell us, hey, you really need to look at government and military funding for this. Now, this environment, not, none of our teams served, um, though we're aware that the U.S. military exists, but I didn't know the first thing about government contracting. I, I mean, I'd seen the movie War Dogs, you know, <laughs> but it, you got to understand, like, this is an extremely complex environment to operate a business, let alone acquire non-diluted funding. And for us, it was starting with, you know, a Google search of like, how do you get funding in the military? Sure. And I think another step that maybe one of the most useful ways to accomplish that is being lucky, the having the luck we were, but, you know, ensuring you do the hard work and preparation to acquire that luck, to meet the right people who can help shepherd you along the way. And so there's been a few entities and individuals uh, along this process who have greatly accelerated our ability to engage that non-dilutive capital and to play this game. Um, quite a few of them come from your organization and oh, good, they, good they have been invaluable, inv immensely helpful in uh, our ability to get to where we are today. Good. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and we, I know the team has really enjoyed kind of getting to work with your your, your uh, team and, you know, help you achieve your goals. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. So like when, when I, when FedTech first started, you know, really back uh, going on uh, about eight, eight, nine years ago, it was, I would say like even a much more opaque world for how to interact with, with government, right? So if you have a company like yours that is um, doing something special, doing something breakthrough, that, that may have a lot of relevance to the to the military. It used to be even harder, right, to even know what's the starting point. You know, you, you Google um, how to sell to the military. Right now, you're going to probably get a lot of good, you know, resources popping up. And then, you know, there's these organizations like like Xtech Search, like mm -hmm. the Army's SBIR program that's been revamped. You know, mm -hmm. you, you go you, the big list of organizations within the DoD that have really you know spun up to be supportive um, of of companies like yours. So. It's still a journey, yeah, but it's. Um, I'm, I'm glad that it's kind of getting easier, you know, for, for companies like you because absolutely relevant product, yeah, that the military is in, I'm yeah. sure, interested in. Yeah, and the X Tech Search program was, um, you know, I, I don't want to. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this that this was one of the most positively. It was kind of in a way, you know, that original IBM competition enabled our company to exist, and the X Tech Search competition enabled our company to thrive. Um, because now we had our technology had matured, you know, during COVID, uh, we had been to Puerto Rico, I think, six times in 2019, the first year of our company's life. And then we haven't been back since. So we've, of course, worked remotely, but it's just been very challenging to go places. Um, and we had to take all of that off the table as a result of the, the pandemic, of course. Um, one of the silver linings is it more or less locked us in a room to just build. We needed to continue to improve our stuff, and this was an opportunity to do it. And um, you know, as we were getting into this this government business, the X Tech Search program was was simultaneously an educational experience, which was very much needed on our side. Um, it was an opportunity to network and communicate with others. So I still have several relationships at FedTech, alumni of FedTech, and other partners that you've brought in through FedTech that we are very close with today. Good, good. And those relationships have helped us to thrive. And then of course, 
the, the technical bits, the understanding of the contracting game. Um, you know, I, it's kind of weird. I, I fell in love with hackathons in my twenties. I love working on government proposals. Now it, I get like excitement out of it. It feels like a real hackathon again. I'm competing for something. Yeah. Yeah. Now for us, it's non-dilutive funding. And you know, I, I suppose that statement is kind of like enjoying the corporate world. So for some people, they just enjoy it because ostensibly and from the outside government contracting is a mind numbing over the top onerous experience that should be completely redone from the ground up, but it is what it is. And this is how we have to deal with it. And for us, we've, we've been quite successful in closing SBIR and STTRs. We have some other adjacent activities going on with government. And we've even managed to develop some pretty profound strategic partnerships through FedTech, such as Raytheon. Good, good. Those relationships are, uh, I, I think in their small early capacity, thriving as well. But there's, I can truly see on the near horizon, a, a lot of these things, including our corporate relationships, growing into something substantial and quite special in the coming months and years. So there's a lot of great things going on on our side. And again, to your original question, the access to the non-dilutive capital and the funding from the DOD. And for us, it's just like a perfect marriage. The type of technology we're building with the dual use application and our customers and the government absolutely love our products. Um, It just, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, and you guys definitely, heading in a good direction. I guess one of the things I always like to ask founders is, is just how do you spend your time, right? And like, and, and especially um, operating a building hardware in a remote environment, <clears throat> what have you learned in the last few years that you wish you knew maybe at the start of the journey of, of how to manage the different priorities, right? I mean, so you gotta work on the product, you gotta obviously do things like sit down and write the proposals, which are, is, is immensely time consuming. Um, what have you learned about how to, to sort of be a CEO and, and, and manage your time and, and the time of your team? We often say internally when we've gotten into our most challenging spots and 2022 was the most painful year of this company's life. And that I think is to distill it down to the simplest explanation, we've finally grown to like a, a real commercial business doing real work with deployments and partners. And there's a lot of integrated entities involved and the growing pains of moving from, you know, a bunch of couch surfing hackathoners to operating a real business, let alone in the, you know, working with the U S government. Um, the growing pains there at times were challenging and there's many examples of that. I won't go into details, but, we often say internally that our safe space for our team is technology and that anytime we get scared or threatened or something bad happens, we say, oh, let, let's just go back to coding things. Let's go build more stuff. And that's not the right answer in this, in probably most businesses, but uh, certainly in our business, there's a healthy mix you need of planting the railroad in front of you as the train's moving, but also, you know, operating the engine and making sure it's fueled and whatnot. Um, and so I think you, you, you tend to, as a human, learn the most from the most painful experiences in your life. 
and those set you up the, the the most effectively for success in the future. And I think the failures we encountered in 2022 as a business were extremely painful and have made a huge evolution for our business this year. And I feel the most optimistic I have about our future right now than I have in two years. Um, and I think that's because we very effectively found the right splits of our application of time between engineering, product development, uh, you know, corporate development and growth, as well as fundraising, contracting. We, we finally kind of found the chemistry of how to nail the growth of the business while keeping the product growth in lockstep to that. Interesting. Yeah. The two, there, there, there's always these phases of business building. When I, and I look back on, you know, Fed, FedTech has had the same journey just as, as our company. There's kind of that, that maybe initial honeymoon phase, so to speak, you know, of, yeah. of, of like the, okay, you, you have some external validation, you win a competition, you have a founding team, you know, it, it, it's, it's the excitement and everybody is sort of, um, almost like drunk on the, 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 the possibilities of what could be right. And it kind of is, it's, it's really fun. Right. And then, then you have maybe that first real validation, you sell something and then that's, that's also great. But, you know, there's kind of a, a little bit of a come down, which it sounds like maybe you guys have experienced in 2022 of when you actually realize like, okay, to have this be functioning at the level everybody wants. And there's, you got, got to, you know, make certain sales numbers. You have complexities around, you know, operating the company, you have, you know, you, have, you got to pay taxes, you got to, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, right. That just go into running a functional business. And to me, it's not always unusual for entrepreneurs to kind of come out of that honeymoon phase a little bit in, in that, the, you know, what I would consider like the early operating phase, right. Of like, how do you actually make this thing work? Um, ben, but what happens next is, is often fun, you know, too. So it gets better. <laughs> yeah. You, you just described perfectly how we felt about our last four years. And we've often remarked, you know, anecdotally, how there have been distinct phases of the company and the honeymoon phase is, you know, a, a, to a T you described it for us, this euphoria of like, holy crap, we're doing this. Um, and I do have one interesting story about, again, none of us served. So a lot of this military DOD application and business is very new, every part of it. Um, we knew one distinct phase had closed and one had entered. I uh, don't know how much I'm supposed to talk about this, but at the time we were, we were engaged in a phase two STTR, delivering our um, product to AFSOC, actually the precursor to what would ultimately become this device. And so we're getting to work with, you know, these really impressive end units. And at the time, our headquarters was a two-bedroom apartment in Bushwick, New York. Now, if you've ever been there, it's probably the last place you'd expect to find, like, a government contracting company in Bushwick, New York. But um, anyway, one day, I totally forget when this was, 2020 or 2021 or something. We get a call. I wasn't at the office. One of the other co-founders was that we had two visitors. And he was like, we don't have anyone coming through today. And keep in mind, this is an apartment building. Uh, and and one of the more ridiculous ones, like paintings all over the wall, like hipster stuff everywhere. And so our colleague goes down and two people are standing there and they say like, hi, 
I'm Agent Blank. This is Agent Blank. We're with the FBI. Are you Project Owl and is this your headquarters? And where's Brian? <laughs> okay. And yeah, so first reaction is everybody on our team is like, what did we do? Um, and I'm racking my brain like, I used to download music as a kid. Like, Oh, yeah, they got you for every uh, transgression. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> what is happening? I mean, and we even spoke with some of our... Anyway, we were terrified. It ended up being because we were in the program and working with the units we were working with, and we do things on information networks, they wanted to talk about risks and things. Now, of course, do I think there are ways they could have done this that are less terrifying for companies? Oh, my goodness. How about a call first? Yeah, at least maybe. Right? Or just like give us that stuff. Hey, we're going to show up. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was on a call, I think through FedTech with the FBI at a later point, and they were saying how they want to engage with industry better, but, you know, people are scared to meet with them. And I was like, shocking because you just show up at people's <laughs> houses like this. Um, but, you know, and again, mind you, this was some ridiculous apartment building. They're like, oh, wow, they're. Their corporate office is fascinating, you know, but that, that was another one of those very distinct moments like of, okay, this, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is now moved to another chapter that we previously oh, yeah, yeah. We'd have to deal with. And that I don't think will stop, but it is, uh, you don't necessarily know when those moments are going to happen and those phases shift, but in hindsight, it's always clear, right? Yeah. Yeah. When it's a great point and it's, um, we see it with a lot of companies, you know, that the, yeah, the whole general kind of compliance around even, you know, running your company, right? You got to have, um, if you're doing a certain type of contracting, you're, you know, your books in a way that could be, you know, auditable by the government to understand mm -hmm. kind of your cost structure, major pain for a lot of startups to sort of transition to that. Um, there's a lot of new IT, I'm sure for, for your type of business, even more, you know, IT security um, standards that have to get met. So it's, it's, it's a higher bar. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm continually hopeful that there'll be increasingly, you know, better infrastructure to help companies like yours, you know, like the, the ones that we see in FedTech do that easily. And, and without the pain of yeah having to endure the, the G men showing up. Uh. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, the, those parts of running a business are very real and challenging. And that, that's one of the, the, I could, I would describe it as mistakes or challenging parts that we've went through in the last couple of years is transitioning to that. You know, again, we were couch surfing hackers, nerds. We don't maintain books, right? So evolving to that mentality. Um, and I think the best example of this for myself personally is if you, you know, I, I was working with some of my, um, my teammates recently were looking at our GitHub profiles and they have these really cool heat maps over the years of when you made commits. And in the, you know, late 2010, so like 2017, 2018, when we found the company, I was doing like 3000 commits a year. So like 10 a day. So my heat map is just all different colors of green everywhere. The year we found Project Owl, it drops like 10X and it's dropped 10X sufficiently since. Okay. <laughs> And to the point where there's just like a t couple green dots now on my yearly chart. And I'm not necessarily happy about that. I love programming. It was, it was something that I truly enjoyed yeah. as a, a skill of mine, but also some, you know, a, a hobby, a, a, an effort that, you know, was, um, fulfilling. 
Um, but that's one of the realities of growing the business. Ultimately, you know, my goal and the rest of my team's goal isn't to be programmers. We want to make an impact and provide something that the world hopefully loves and sees value in. And so evolving from, you know, uh, what I was doing previously to other things that are more important, maintaining the business and doing things that honestly give me a lot less joy <laughs> at times. Yeah. Um, but it, it's critical to be able to make those steps up to achieve the impact you want to make. So, yeah. And you guys, I think you're going to hit a phase where, you know, one of the big, yes, you're going through, okay, how do we operate phase now? And like, and, and, and you're having obviously learned a lot of this yourself, which I'm sure is, is foreign, you know, just as, just mm -hmm. as if I was in a technical environment, you know, that part would be, would be painful too, uh, for, um, but if you, what you're going to see, I think in the next phase is, is the, um, getting the right team around you, right? So you might find, you know, over the next period of time that you want to bring in some, some help on the, maybe the business operations side, you know, there's a lot of good folks that can kind of take that off your plate so you can focus on. So to me, there's like this third phase, okay, you have honeymoon, you have, you know, okay, initial operating, and then there's the sort of more scale phase that to me is really most about getting the right team around you, you know, once you start to have some capital to, to deploy. So I'm, I'm excited to see if you guys end up taking that, that step of maybe bringing in other folks that can, can help you, you know, because it's, yeah. it's hard. I mean, and that jives with exactly where we are, you know, like, I think Ben, you've done this before, <laughs> haven't you? Because <laughs> you have a pretty good sense of where we're at and what we need. I mean, internally with our advisors, the words operation and finance are thrown around way more today and over the last 12 months than ever before in Al's lifetime. Uh, yeah. by like a, a large factor. And it's the one thing we've all acknowledged, you know, going from the honeymoon phase to like the FBI showing up at our door to not arrest us to we need to operate and monitor our cash flow effectively and kind of break down our application of resources to most effectively maximize our growth and delivery of product to our customers that love us. That's now a big, you know, a lot of, a lot of time is spent on operating decisions, finance, the things that aren't product development. So yeah. moving out of your safe space to things you got to do, um, you know, now we get to now, now's the fun part where we as a team get to work on all the things we're not good at, <laughs> which I'm sure <laughs> will be just as painful going forward, but the, it should yield some very positive results. Yeah, and we have more, listen, we have more wind at our sales than we've ever had. I mean, through the XTech search program, which we, I could not be more thankful for the existence of that. And of course, the good fortune we had to win, like it's, it's, it's very hard, if not impossible to overstate how much that enabled us to reach another stage of application and to fill in some gaps in our, you know, um, trajectory. Um, well, and I know the army folks are real proud of, of the progress you guys have made. So it's, it's, um, I'm sure they're going to be happy to hear that, that, that it's been a accelerant to you all. One of our reps after we won told me that at, uh, I should say reps, one of the technical, uh, person of contact at AFSOC that we've sent product to said to us, and this has always stuck with me since that 
He was not surprised we won because of all the technology companies he works with. We were the most willing and ready to take their feedback, make something new and send it back to them for validation. And he thinks that cycle and ability to go through that flywheel will yield very positive results for our business in the future. And that yeah. was very meaningful to hear. That's great. Thanks, Brian. Well, why don't we wrap here? Yeah, but um, it's been a yeah, great conversation. Thanks for um, all the work you're doing. Thanks for being a part of our community. And again, you know, FedTech, we're, we're here behind you with anything we can do to be helpful. So with that, yeah, let's let's wrap this uh, podcast. Um, Brian uh, Knaus from OWL. Um, we're looking forward to great things in the future. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, Ben.